God's word is holy and it is infallible. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the word of truth whereby we can know who God is and what he's done for us. And to give honor to God's word, if you're able, we'll stand as we read our passage from Luke 3. Let's stand as we read Luke 3, starting at verse 21. Luke 3, 21. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son. In you I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Our glorious Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand this, your holy word, to understand and believe in the wonderful, blessed salvation that you have brought unto us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Help us, we pray, to understand and to receive this, your holy word, and enable me, we pray, to preach this truth in a way that is pleasing in your sight. For we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Perhaps you've heard of that statement of the limelight. Um, what What it's like for someone to be in the limelight. He's the key figure for instance, you go to a concert and then they have all the lights and action shine down upon one individual as they're singing a, a solo of some sort. They're in the limelight. Well, there's a mention of a few characters so far that in my preaching on Luke that we looked at before. Mary, Zacharias, Elizabeth, John the Baptist. But now, starting in these verses, which we read together... The limelight or the focus moves and shines upon Jesus Christ. Um, The last we've heard of Jesus was when he was 12 years old. And we read of that earlier in in Luke 2. Mary and and Joseph were looking frantically for the Lord Jesus because they didn't know where he was. You could say they lost the Lord Jesus because they were on a caravan coming back from Jerusalem, going back to Nazareth. And they didn't know where he was, so they were looking for a period of three days, and they were astonished when they found him in the temple. Look back at Luke 2, 24. I'm sorry, Luke 2, um, 46. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them 
and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So after that reading, we find out later on in in Luke 3, uh, 23, it says that Jesus began his ministry at about the age of 30. So 18 years have passed, and during that 18 years, Jesus continued to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. And here we have the mature, ready Jesus taking up the mantle of his messianic ministry. We'll look at today's text and the the main focus of our triune God revealing himself to us in the baptism of Christ Jesus. Our triune God, not just Jesus, but our triune God reveals himself to us in the baptism of Jesus Christ. We'll see this in two main points. The Trinity revealed, and secondly, the Father-Son communion. Let's look at this first main point, the Trinity revealed. Verse 21, verses 21 through 22. Now when the people were baptized... Um, Some translators would say the sense here is after the people were baptized. Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him, that is upon the Lord Jesus Christ, in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven, You are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. Now, there is a great error of doctrine that was first introduced by a man named Sibelius. He was a priest and a theologian, and uh, he lived uh, during the early church. But he wrongly taught that God revealed himself in modes or manifestations of or roles at three different of three different persons at different times, and I, I'm, this is not what we believe, but I have the examples here of what Sibelius taught. God was in the mode of Father all the way from creation, even through the great flood, through the Exodus, through the uh, the calling of the patriarchs, uh, through the. Ac- uh, through redemptive history of Israel rising as a nation and Israel falling as a nation, he was serving as God the Father. Then upon the conception of Jesus Christ, God then is in the mode of the Son, Jesus Christ, in that mode for a time until he ascends into heaven after his resurrection. And then God now, they would say, or Sibelius would say, is in the mode of the Holy Spirit, whereby he works in men's hearts by regeneration. Now, you, you're going to meet people in this community who teach this. Because some in the, in the community didn't like the teaching of what we would call the Holy Trinity. That God is three persons equal in power and glory. But here, they would teach something of a sort of modalism. That God takes turns in acting in one manifestation or one mode at a time. Now, if you meet somebody who teaches this, a good thing for you to do is to read verses 21 and 22 to them. You read these verses 
and you ask, which mode or manifestation was God in at this moment? Which mode was he in? And if you get an answer that's somewhat cogent, it won't be based on Scripture because there is no answer. Because this text, this is text is the absolute annihilation of modalism. It makes it absolutely illogical for God to act in modes when you have God, the, the triune God, acting in three particular events all simultaneously. Look at today's text again. Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, was being baptized by John in the water. God, the Holy Spirit, descended upon Jesus in a form like a dove. And then the, God, the Father, spoke from heaven, saying, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. All three are acting simultaneously which makes it impossible, absolutely impossible, for Sibelius to be right and for the modalists to be right and even for the oneness Pentecostals in our area to be right because the doctrine of the Trinity is the only doctrine that makes sense of a passage like this. Now, as we look at today's text, maybe you didn't catch this, but we'll go back and look at a little passage in verse 3 of, the, of this chapter. And there's a theological problem that you might have picked up on before. Look at verse 3, going back a little bit to the prior sermon. It says, it talks about John the Baptist. He came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So that baptism was for repentance, of the, for the forgiveness of sins. How is it that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, would submit to the baptism that is intended for sinners? Dr. Hendrickson, I believe, gives a manifold answer, and this is kind of complex to the point where you need a manifold answer. And uh, I have a quotation, a kind of a little bit longer quotation from him. Now, if you want to read this on your own, there's a ton of scriptural evidence that he gives to each of these points. But let's look at the first point here, he says. He says, in himself, that is in Jesus, there was nothing that needed to be or could be cleansed. The Messiah took on himself his, peop his people's guilt and vicariously bore or was to bear its punishment. What does that mean, vicarious? It means as a substitute. He was, Jesus Christ was then beginning the process of taking upon himself the sin of the people. Then he goes on to say, in order to bring about this vicarious redemption, the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus was qualifying him according to his human nature for the task that he had taken upon himself. We know that Jesus was already uh, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit when uh, the power of God overshadowed Mary and then she bore a child by um, the power of God. But Jesus here is being strengthened further by the Holy Spirit to fulfill his office as Messiah. And here's the clincher of it. Shortly after this baptism, God, by the Holy Spirit, tells John to say this. 
John, immediately after this, says, Look, the Lamb of God who is taking away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. He embraced his office as the Lamb of God who was to take away the sin of the world. I've never thought of it before this time. Most people think of it as, oh, you know, in, in Gethsemane, Jesus really knew what was happening. He really knew what was coming. But I guarantee you that Jesus Christ knew the Scriptures. He knew many of the passages concerning the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Jesus Christ knew, even at this point, what was going to happen. Jesus Christ knew that He was taking upon Himself the sin of His people, His elect, His sheep. And He knew of the Father's wrath that would come upon Him when He would be killed for the sake of the sheep. Let's look next at the Father-Son communion. Verse 22, the Father said, You are my beloved Son. In you I am well pleased. Jesus was pleasing in the sight of God the Father. And before He took on human flesh, the pre-incarnate, the eternal Son of God, had a perfect, blessed communion with the Father and with the Holy Spirit from all eternity. And I would say even before the creation of time itself. Um, I have it listed here in your outline. But in in John 17, Jesus prayed and it mentions this Holy Communion. He says, glorify me together with yourself. He's praying to the Father. Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I do not ask on behalf of the world but of those you have given me, verse 9, that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Verse 24. There was a beloved communion of Jesus and the Father before all eternity, before even the creation event mentioned in Genesis 1. Now, the Father's words of praise for His Son, it's based upon this prior communion that they had. But it's also based on Jesus doing something else, taking up a, a cause, an obligation that we would call um, the covenant of redemption or the pactum salutis. Now, again, His mentioning my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, it didn't. It had this as the prior basis. Again, the covenant of redemption or the pactum salutis, that's Latin, it describes an intertrinitarian, that means between the Trinity, an intertrinitarian covenant or agreement before time began. This agreement involved how each of the three persons of the Trinity were to be involved in accomplishing the salvation of the elect. One of the key passages... Um, there's other passages besides this, but one of the key passages I have there for you is Zechariah 6.12 and following. And in Zechariah 6.12, it says this, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he will be a priest on his throne. And the council of peace 
will between will be between the two of them. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah to come. You could say, no, he wasn't named Jesus until he came, he took on flesh. But this passage here in Zechariah 6 is talking about the Messiah to come, who would be called Branch, who would be both a king sitting on a throne and a priest. But then when you pair it together with Isaiah 53, Jesus Christ wasn't just a priest, he was the sacrifice himself. He was the one who was going to sacrifice himself for our iniquities. The Father's praise for the Son was based upon Jesus Christ taking up the offices as prophet, priest, and king to accomplish their predetermined covenant of redemption or pactum salutis. Jesus willingly laid down his life as a sacrifice for sin, as a sacrifice for your sin on the holy on on the cross. He did so because of his love for you. He did so because of his love for the Father and he did so because of the glory set before him. Hebrews 12:2. Now this is a a passage, and again, when we study John 17, the high priestly prayer, it talks about this beautiful communion between God the Son and God the Father. But you don't have to be just a spectator. You don't have to be just a spectator. Do you know that you could share in this holy communion between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit? Let's look back at John 17 again. John 17. This is Jesus' prayer for you if you have faith in, in him. If you are a Christian, Jesus prayed this prayer for you. G, uh, John seventeen seventeen. He prayed to the Father. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, speaking of the Jews or the the believing Jews at that time and Gentiles who believed, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that's us that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. What a glorious passage talking about the union and the communion of Father and Son, but also us sharing in that blessed Holy Communion. It says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me, and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, 
Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known you sent me. And I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. I love fellowship. I love relationships. And you should love relationships as well because we are to be social beings because God created us in His image. But you cannot have a blessed, holy communion or relationship with others unless you have first a blessed, holy relationship with God Himself. You have to truly learn to live not for yourselves, but for him who died for you and rose again from the dead. And then you can learn to love others. God revealed himself to us in the baptism of Jesus Christ. He revealed himself in the persons of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son on earth being baptized... At the same time as the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form like a dove and the Father speaking from heaven, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Modalism is not the answer. The doctrine of the Holy Trinity is the answer. But the Father-Son communion is a communion that you can share as well if you embrace God by faith through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let us pray together. Oh, Father, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to receive these things which you have taught us. Help us to learn to have a holy communion one with another because you have loved us first. Help us, we pray, to die to sin, to die to self, to live not for ourselves, but to live for you, to live especially for the blessed Lord Jesus who died for us and rose again for us. And help us, we pray, thereby to grow in our love and communion with one another. Help us to be one in unity and one in fellowship and one in love with one another as you, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have that holy communion within yourself. Help us, we pray, and give us faith to believe and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. For we ask all these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. For our hymn of dedication, we'll look at, uh, turn to 378. Look ye saints, the sight is glorious. Let's turn to 378 and we'll stand and sing. 378-378.